1 Corinthians 13, there's no way that I can possibly do it any justice, but, you know, we'll try and we'll talk about it and we'll try to break it down. But at the end of the day, when we talk about this chapter, which really is probably one of the most magnificent pieces of literature in all of human history, you know, there's no way that we could do it justice. But my prayer is, Lord, as we go through this chapter, I don't just want to learn it. I don't just want, like, information. I don't just want head knowledge. Lord, I want to learn to love more. I want to love my wife more. I want to love my kids. I want to love people. I want to love you. Because that's what it's all about. You know, Henry was saying something very important is that uh, the love that we're talking about, you know, we want to reciprocate this love to others. We want to love everybody that God brings into our, our path. We want to love our neighbors. But we'll never really be able to love people unless we first understand God's love for us. You guys understand that? You know, I don't know if uh, you guys struggle with that. I think about this. This is crazy. I'm a pastor. I mean, I know the Bible. I've read the Bible probably 30 times. I've studied, you know, Bible college and done a lot of crazy things that God has graciously allowed me to do. But I still struggle with God's love. I still struggle with, God, how can you love me? You love me and the way that I fail, the way that I'm flawed. And, and, he, and he does. Why do people struggle? Why do we, you know, find ourselves in these uh, situations that I think really we shouldn't be in? And I think it all can be narrowed down to the fact that we just don't understand God's love for us. Because I remember, I mean, I've shared with you guys before, one day when I was sharing my testimony, I was sharing my story, I remember how God just made it super clear to me that really my story is the same as everyone else's story, that we're all just looking for love. That's our story. That's our story. Sometimes you get it from a parent. Sometimes you don't. And you're looking for it in a relationship. You're looking for it with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and that doesn't work out. It just breaks your heart. When in all reality, we have to look for this love in God. And when that love sinks in, then it's just so beautiful because it's then that we're able to love others. Now, I will say this. Now, you guys know God loves you. Do you guys understand that God lo loves you? How do you know God loves you? Because he died for you. He died for you. Who else died for you? You know anyone else who died for you? I mean, God died for you. I know life is hard. I know sometimes we struggle with the things that we experience. We're like, well, if God loved me, then why did my mom die? Why wasn't my dad there? Why did my brother have this disease? Why, Lord, you know, didn't my dad ever provide for me? Why, you know, do I have this handicap? Whatever the, like, we can make a lot of different things, you know, be the issue as far as, like, I don't believe God loves me, but he died for you, 
Romans 5 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, his one of a kind love for us, his own unique love for us. And the word demonstrates is in the present tense. It means that he continuously demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So you got to know and, and, and somehow you got to let it sink in. God loves you. You know, and, and that just that he made you, just that he redeemed you, just that he thinks about you as the sands of the sea. He knows every single hair you have. Some It's easier because you guys are bald, but, <laughs> you know, some of you guys, they say that you have close to 10,000 hairs. He knows every tear you cry. He knows every time you sit down and you, you rise up. Psalm 139, it calls it a merism. And he knows what that basically means is he knows when we sit, when we rise, when he knows everything in between. And he still is madly in love with you. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, that hits home. I think that we need to saturate ourselves in that and just to think on it and, and let it sink in more and just soak it up and just know it's true. Take time. I know we're busy. We're on social media. We're watching movies. We're doing all the different things. We're not taking time to just saturate ourselves in the love of God. But I will tell you this, though, beyond just the theology of it, beyond the abstract, beyond the things that are invisible as far as God's love for us, there's also another way that we experience God's love, and that is through others. Through others. And that's what... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, it primarily is all about how God loves people through people. And it's important that we cultivate this as a church. You know, how will we win people to the Lord? We're going to love them into the kingdom. And once they get into the kingdom, we have to keep loving on them. Even though they struggle, even though you butt heads with someone else in the church, if there's someone that you're struggling with, my encouragement to you is as we go through our study, go to them. Don't go away. Because they say that you, the, the person you love the least is the measure of your love for God. And they say that when that person de deserves your love the least is when they need it the most. And imagine if we all caught that vision. Rather than it repel me to go the other way, it compels me to go to you. You know, the Corinthian church was struggling with love. They had a lot of gifts. They were fancy. They spoke in tongues. They were eloquent. They were all into the sermons and the intellectualism of Apollos or maybe the delivery that he had. But they were not really living in the land of agape love. And so Paul, he writes a letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, we were talking about all the gifts and all the different parts and responsibilities we have in the body of Christ. Chapter 14, we're going to get into the gifts some more. We'll talk more about tongues and prophecy and things like that. So chapter 12 and chapter 14 are kind of like two pieces of bread, but chapter 13 is the meat in the middle. Now, what's more important, the bread or the meat? Some of you guys are saying the bread. No, you're wrong. <laughs> it's like a double-double or a hamburger right there. The bread is cool, but it's nothing compared to the meat. That's what the love is. And so uh, I remember uh, when my father-in-law, you know, uh, 
an amazing man my father-in-law uh, was. I mean, this guy, he was a Christian. And when he started his life, he grew up in the church. I don't know all the details on that, but I know that as he got older, he drifted away. But in his latter years, he came back to the Lord. And man, did he come back to the Lord. And that was when I was a new Christian. And those days are precious to me. And I remember he used to read his Bible until like the wee hours of the morning, man. He would be there at 3 o'clock in the morning still reading his Bible. And we would have Bible studies together. And he, um, he would tell me, Oh, this was his favorite chapter and the way that he talked it's all there he would tell me it's all there chapter 13 it's all there <laughs> and, and I would have to say that I agree in that it's all there we got to take off our shoes it's all there this is holy ground imagine if we could study this chapter and imagine if we could become more loving people imagine how our families would change, our marriages would be different. Imagine how we could reach our children. Imagine how we could reach others. It's all there, and I, and I agree. You know, because I, I believe in the reality of the priority of love. It's love that makes the world go round. It's love that makes the ride worthwhile. It's love that seeks and saves our soul. God's love, this is what makes us whole. It's love that heals our broken hearts when we give God all the parts. So we need to know it's not found below, it's from above, that kind of love. That's what we need. And so I pray that today as we begin this chapter, we're not going to be able to go through the whole thing, but we'll touch on different things that we would listen and that God would work inside of us. I don't want to be the same man. I don't want to go home tonight the same man that I came in as. And I just want to appeal to you that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you never really accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, God brought you here because God loves you. God wants to forgive you of all your sins, and he wants to make a home for you in heaven. All you got to do is open your heart to his love. Jesus died for you on a cross. He rose again. And all you have to do is turn from your sin and trust in Christ today. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the most important thing. There might only be one person here who's not a Christian. That might be you. Let me say in one sense, you're the most important person today. We love you because God loves you. And I pray you would not leave here without accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He has this life for you that is so beautiful. Not easy, but beautiful. And he has a home for you in heaven. He will wash away all your sins. He will break the chains, and he will give you life, and that abundantly. And so, chapter 13, uh, three sections. Number one, the preeminence of love. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 3. Number two, the particulars of love. And we'll see in verses 4 through 88 kind of what love looks like. And then number three, the permanence of love. And we're going to see that love is forever. It's not a feeling that comes and goes. Love never fails. It never ends. It goes on and on and on into eternity. Another way of seeing it is the fundamental of love, the features of love as far as what does it look like, and then the forever love. And so uh, we read in verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. And so here Paul, he, he lays down the emphasis of the fundamental or the preeminence of love. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, that person might be an amazing messenger, miracle worker, mountain mover, imagine that. They could be a monk or a martyr. Listen, if we're not moved and motivated by the love of God and the love for people, it doesn't matter whatever our so-called ministry is. That's what Paul is saying here. And what he's saying here is that this is really, 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 really important. Do I really understand God's love for me so that I can love others? I mean, think about the things that he's mentioning here. You guys, you don't want to let this one slip by. You don't want to let this one, you know, oh, well, it didn't work out in my life and, and you die without it. No, this is huge. You know, we need to do our best to make sure that we in California don't make the same mistake they made in Corinth. The Corinthians were Christians. They had, you know, plenty of life, so to speak, but not a lot of love. They were gifted, but not godly in the sense that they had the Spirit, they had the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. They, they didn't love each other. You know, and, and I can't tell you how many times that's the issue in your marriage. That's the issue. Just not loving your wife. Just not loving your, your husband. You're just not loving, sometimes we're not loving our kids or they're not loving their mom or their dad. They're, we're not loving our friends. We're not loving our enemies. We're not loving our neighbors. You know, this is the issue. They didn't love each other. And love, we're going to see... There's a lot to it, you know, um, but in one sense, it's me just saying, I want the best for you. I really do. You know, that's what kind of it is. It's unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good. I want the best for you. This is so important. Jesus said it's the chief characteristic of a Christian in John 13, 35. He said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so there in Corinth, truth was hard to find. Love was hard to find. And if we're not careful, it can happen to us as well. It can happen to any Christian. It can happen to any congregation. And I wish there was a way that I could just say, if we could take a test, like check out your heart, like, man, Lord, show me my love barometer. You know, I wish I could see that. And I believe the Lord will show us. We can examine our life when we study verses 4 through 8. You know, but uh, we got to be so careful because I think sometimes in the church we miss this most important point, this thing that is so preeminent, this thing that is for, so fundamental. I want the fancy speaker. I want the man who has this message that's amazing. That's what I want. I want the mountain mover. I want the miracle worker. You know, I want this guy right here who goes and he's such a great example. He sells everything he has and he gives it to the poor. Or that guy over there who was a martyr, he was burned at the stake. And those are the things we're looking for. And God is saying, no, a lot of the times, those things are not done with the right motive. Really, what, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. You might be someone who's called to do sound ministry or ushers or, or something. And, and, and the reason why it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful to God. 
is because the reason you're doing it is because you love God and you love people. That's what we have to be looking for in the church because sometimes the church, I think, man, we misrepresent the Lord. You know, Jonathan Swift, the satirical author of Gulliver's Travels, he said something interesting about a lot of Christians. He said, we have just enough religion to hate, but not enough to love. And I think that happens a lot, huh, you guys? We're like, you know, hey, you know, those guys over there, they're doing this crazy thing, and, and you know, we hate them. We hate them. And, and yet, can't you see that the reason they're doing that crazy thing is because they're not Christians? They're not Christians. Well, how are they going to get to be Christians? Your, your hatred? Will your hatred win them to the Lord? No, your love will win them to the Lord. Your prayers will win them to the Lord. I'm not saying that you can't correct them, but it's all about Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. Love saves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. We have just enough religion so that we hate people. Man, we got to go farther. We got to grow in this. We have to remember it's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationships. And we have to ask God to give us wisdom to win people to salvation, not through coercion. Their best chance is to love them into the kingdom. And when they do finally come into the kingdom, keep loving them, even though you're going to see all their flaws and failures many, many, many times over. See, what Paul is saying right here is just something that I want to encourage you to know is just how important it is, how huge it is to make sure that that's the one characteristic that you have. Because you know what bottom line is, bro? You might come and you might be here every single week. And some of you guys, you might come multiple times, but you don't really know the Lord. Church attendance, does that save you? Does that prove you're saved? You know, involvement in ministry, does that prove you're saved? You move the mountain, does that prove you're saved? You know the Bible inside and out, does that prove you're saved? Love proves you're saved. And what we find that Paul is saying, this is really, really, really important. You know, remember when they asked Jesus? They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. He said, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? But then what did the guy say, the lawyer, the scribe? He said, well, who's my neighbor? And you guys remember what Jesus did? Jesus went on and he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan was basically the people that were despised by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews. So much so that a priest, when he saw him there, uh, and what we find is that this whole story, it gives us that understanding that Jesus is saying, we have to love those who maybe not are not lovely, the ones that you can think of right now, and God is just saying, well, that's how much you love me, is the way that you, you treat them. You know, Matthew 22, 35 through 40, and the, the verse 40, it says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's very important. That's why James writes in James chapter 2, verse 8, 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Why is it called the royal law? Not because it comes from a king, but because when it's compared to the other laws, it's royal, it's majestic, it's above it. Because there we find all the other laws find their home. And so Paul here in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or, or a clanging cymbal. And so you probably know that in Corinth and in Greek uh, culture, eloquence was greatly admired in those days. This is probably why they were so fascinated with tongues. You might remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, they divided over preachers. And to them, it was important, the eloquence, the, the, the way that the sermon was delivered, you know, that rhetoric, all that kind of stuff. But Paul here says, hey, even if they spoke with the tongues of men and, and of angels, and we're not sure if angels actually have their own language, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the person spoke eloquently or supernaturally. If they're not moved and motivated by love, then in all reality, I, I think what he's saying is that it's a bunch of noise you know, sounding brass or clanging cymbals. But I also think there is an aspect to it that it won't really build up the body. It won't really be an effective ministry. And that's why, you know, when you go um, and you share and you teach as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, you know, Manny, why do you preach? Do you preach because you like to preach? Do you, you preach because you love to preach? Or do you preach because you love the God who called you to preach? Or do you love the people? See, that's the measure. That's what we have to test. Now, what we find is that it can be impressive to men's minds mentally or their ears audibly, but it won't be effective spiritually. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, or love edifies. And that's why Ephesians 4.15, it says, we are to speak the truth in love. And as we do, then people grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. And so, you know, when we're sharing, when these guys are teaching, and a lot of you here are teachers, and even sometimes, you know, just teaching our children, we want to make sure that we're motivated uh, by love. You know, the last thing we want. And it's, it's something that we have to be careful of in the church. You know, you walk out of the, of, the, of the study and you're like, man, what a great teacher. What a great message. I mean, is that, I don't know if that's what God wants us to walk out with. Personally, I think he would rather have us walk out with what a great God that we have. What a great Savior. Because you guys, we're great sinners, huh? And, and man, just think. The God that loves us, it doesn't fluctuate. It never goes up and down. So, so be careful with that mentality. That's where the Corinthians were. And then in verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And so again, prophecy, we're going to see uh, in chapter 14, is, is beautiful, it's important, we should desire to do it, but not without love. He's not depreciating the gifts, but what he is is appreciating love. And he's teaching us the preeminence of, of love over the gifts of the Spirit 
You know, how we have to have that first and foremost and fundamental, even before the gift of faith. Notice he says, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains. Now that faith is not saving faith, that's the gift of faith. And he's saying right there, it's more important than, than that. Because if not, then what we end up with is seeing ourselves, God sees us. In one sense, he loves us, but he's saying, man, something's wrong. You know, I was thinking about Balaam, uh, the prophet in the Old Testament, very gifted. He could hear God's voice. He could speak God's word. I mean, God did miracles. Uh, it's amazing, the prophecies of Balaam. But in the end, it came out. It came out. It came out. He didn't really love God. He didn't really love the people. Eventually, it was revealed, and it will be revealed. He was just a prophet for the money. Just a prophet for profit. We got to be careful. There's our opportunity to examine our life. You know, I'm thinking of Samson, such a gifted man, you know, and God had called him to deliver the, the Jews, and it was so amazing what God could have done through him, but in the end, he loved himself rather than God, rather than the people of God. And so we have to be careful with these things. In verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And, you know, it's crazy when you think about this. One commentary said even self-sacrifice can be self-centered. You know, and you imagine if you guys sold all your stuff and gave it to the poor. How many of you, uh, when you think about that, I was thinking, about, wow, man, what would happen to you if you sold all your stuff, your house, your car, your clothes, your phone, your everything, you sold everything, and you gave it to uh, the poor? What would happen to you? You'd be poor, yeah, but, uh, but at the end of the day, I believe, I knew someone was going to say that, <laughs> but you'd be okay, huh? You'd be okay? How many of you know I'd be okay? God will provide. You guys know that, right? I mean, I just believe that with all my heart. Man, God will provide for us, you know? And so here's someone anyway. I don't know. They do it, but they do it for the wrong reason. They, you know, imagine giving your body to be burned. Now, in Athens, there was a statue there of a man who gave his body to be burned. But before he gave his body to be burned, he told the guys exactly what to write on the statue so that people could see that monument forever. So is that really love it's love for self and and what ends up happening I, I just pray you guys we would know like lord use my life for that young man over there i see him struggling and i just i know i'm just a man but i want to be a vessel through which he can understand god's love i want to be a tool so that you can build him up and make him a man of god i want to be lord a, a weapon i will fight the devil for that young man and then that just happens to everybody you know, the pastors here, we here, we love you guys. We want you to be blessed. Now, we're just men. There's not a whole lot we can do. But if there's ever a need in your life, we will be here for you. That's what we spend most of our time doing. I wish I could go out to dinner with all of you guys. And although you probably don't feel the same, but I'm just saying that's how I feel. But usually what ends up happening is my life consists in being with people who are going through emergency situations. We love you guys. 
Why? Because God put that love inside of us. We can't take any credit for that. And that's just a, the tip of the iceberg. Imagine if every one of us caught that, that vision of understanding, like, I want to be here for that young man. I want to be here for that guy who's struggling. I want to be there for that person, you know, who's, you know, they're going through a divorce and you just want to be there for them. This is what this love is all about. It's not because I... I want to make money. It's not because I, I want to get anything. It's because God says, this is what love is. You, you want to give. You know, the Corinthians here were struggling with it. They were very gifted, but they weren't godly. And I think that what it can happen a lot of times in societies is we don't even care about character. You know, as long as that baseball team, as long as they're talented, who cares if they cheat? Absolutely not. Give that World Series to the Dodgers, I would say. <laughs> Character counts. It's not just giftedness. It's not just talent. It's not just skills. It's not just because homeboy can talk good. A lot of people can talk good. We've got, we had a president who could talk good. That's why he was elected. It doesn't mean that he has character. What we're talking about right here is, is we're talking about love. And when we look at this as a society, we have to know the preeminence of it. At the end right there in verse 3, he says, If I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. And what that means is that one day when you stand before Jesus Christ and all your works are thrown in, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says they're thrown into the fire. Whatever survives the fire, that's your reward. If you did it because you love God and love the people, then you're going to receive a great reward. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, it says on that day, the hidden counsels of the heart, the hidden motives of the heart will be revealed. And then each one's praise will come from God. Lord, why, why do we do what we do? I pray that it's motivated by love. I pray that we would understand the preeminence of love, the fundamental of love. You guys remember that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman? All about love. We got CDs, tapes, and videos, radios and TV shows, conferences, retreats, and seminars. We've got books and magazines to read on everything from A to Z and a web to surf no matter where you are. But I hope with all this information buzzing through our brains that we will not let our hearts forget the most important thing. It's all about love, 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 love. It's all about love, 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 love. Everything else comes down to this. There's nothing any higher on that list. It's all about love. I'm not talking about being weird, you guys. I'm talking about a love that's holy, a love that's truth. For Ephesians 4.15. Let me close with just a couple of questions. Number one, how can we cultivate more love? And I think that, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of that has to do with just letting God's love sink in. I don't care who you are. I don't know what you've done. God loved the murderer Moses. God loved the murderer David. There's no sin that we can commit that could cancel out God's love for us on this side of time. So wherever you are, whoever you are, you're struggling with that, all I can say is like in one sense, man, you got to, you know, put the tea bag in the tea and, and you got to let it soak in. 
You got to meditate on it. You got to contemplate this truth that God loves you and let it sink in. Good days, bad days, he still loves you. You fall flat on your face, he still loves you. We can't look down on other people and say, well, look what they did. It was such a crazy, horrendous, horrific sin that they did. Well, what about you, what you did to God? How can we look down on others? We can't. God loves them just the same as, as he loves you. It begins with God's love sinking in, and then it goes out. We're not manufacturers. We're distributors. God pours it in, and we pour it out. But you have to open up your heart. Remember like the song? Uh, Delirious sang that song, and they weren't delirious. It was a true song. I could sing of your love forever. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift my hands, for I will sing always of when your love came down. And before I ever became a Christian, I, I didn't love anybody. I just loved me. But now I realize, we realize it's not about me. It's about others. You know, we don't just sing it. We bring it, right? We share it. We bear it. It's not a feeling or a force of nature. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So how can we cultivate this heart of love by letting God's love sink in? And then here's a good question. Who are we called to love? Let me ask you, who, who are you called to love? What would you guys say? You say everybody, huh? Huh? But that's the easy answer. I think, oh, yeah, everyone. Oh, I love everyone. That's so generic. It's very generic. Oh, I love everybody. <laughs> no, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? The neighbor is the knucklehead that God brings into your path. The neighbor is your boss who's mistreating you. The neighbor is that person, and a lot of times it's a family member that you don't want to love. And God is saying to you, and like I shared with you earlier, and I believe this with all my heart, that you love God as much as the person you love the least. Who is that person? Who is that one that the devil has you down with because you refuse to love them. Well, that's how much you love God. You know, you, you love your, your neighbor. And I encourage you to know that 11 times specifically in the scriptures, from Leviticus to James, we're commanded to love our neighbor. And that is the people God brings into our path. And so some guys are like, is that my wife? Yes. Yes, that's your wife. Is that my husband? Yes, that's your husband. I, I would even say this, that I would say, if you love God, I, I believe that the person you love right after God should be your spouse. Because don't tell me you love your friends more than you love your spouse. And I would say you love God, you love your spouse, then you love your kids. There is your priority. And I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes our kids... You know, they, they can give us hard times. And that's when our love is tested. We have to just keep on loving them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your frenemies. What's a frenemy? <laughs> I don't want to get... I have a definition here, but I'm not even going to go there because it's ugly. <laughs> and God just says, love them. And so, uh, you know, uh, between services, it was kind of cool. 
we were talking to people uh, about this because people are coming forward and they're like, man, I don't know how to love this person or, or whatever. I'm struggling in loving with this person. And, and we knew this, that God was calling them to that person, that God was saying, I, I want you to love them. God was calling them to them. But as far as the divine details on exactly how to love them, that's something that God will show you. But you have to ask the Lord. And as you do, I believe that he will show you how to love your neighbor. It's preeminent, my friends, because it's really the litmus test of our salvation. He who does not love does not know God. So the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, for God is love. And so you've heard me say this a million times. The love of God is so amazing. It's like the Amazon River uh, flowing down to run a day, uh, um, you know, water a daisy. It's like we have to understand God's love for us is so amazing that he loves us and as if we were the only one to love. How much does God love you? He died for you. That's how much he loves you. And then the other answer is he loves you this much. You're like, what do you mean, Manny? That's not a lot. And what that means is that in all reality, nothing can come between you and his love. Nothing can come between you and God. Now, some of them might listen to a study like this and they're like, Manny, you're getting all mushy. I don't know if I am or not. I just know the importance of it. Let me read to you a few scriptures. Colossians 3.14, But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. And I have 700 more verses. It's mentioned 700 times. So it's between you and the Lord. I pray that he would give you wisdom. When we get into our list, we're going to see the very first thing there in verse 4 is that love suffers long. You ready? 